0: Welcome to Episode 4 of Make Me Watch It, the podcast where our listeners decide which movies I have to watch next, with occasional random movies inserted in between. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler, and the podcast is released through Bureau 42. This month we are looking at Donnie Darko, originally released on October 26, 2001, at least in a wide release. This was written and directed by Richard Kelly. Prior to this, he had produced, both as writer and director, a short film called The Goodbye Place in 1996, and a feature called Visceral Matter in 1997. This is often considered his directorial debut, so he did have a couple movies under his belt when he made Donnie Darko, but this was by far the most prominent, and even then it was only in limited release. His other credits as director include Southland Tales from 2006 and The Box from 2009, both of which he wrote. He also wrote the screenplay, and had story credit on Domino from 2005, and there is an S. Darko sequel to Donnie Darko that came out in 2009. He gets credit for characters only. He had no active part in the production of that film. So Donnie Darko is like Jimmy Stewart's Harvey if you're on some hardcore drugs, which apparently is part of how Kelly conceived this film. In fact, a number of sequences were inspired when he was doing some pretty hard drugs. The idea is that Donnie Darko is a troubled youth who's on medication, starts doing some self-medication with non-prescription drugs as well. He's got an invisible friend, which is a giant rabbit, or a man in a bunny suit, with some damage to him. It turns out that Frank the rabbit is missing his right eye. Donnie doesn't always get along with his family at home. He's got two sisters, one older, one younger. Both parents are there, they have him in regular therapy, He's also got some issues at school. He questions authority. I would say he sometimes outright disrespects it, but the way the story is structured and told from his perspective, he may overreact, but he's never reacting to nothing. There's always some way that the authorities he disrespects have unfairly or unjustly treated him prior to his reaction. When I say he overreacts, he does things like flood the school or tell teachers to insert index cards in some very specific anatomical places, this sort of thing. So his reactions are not justifiable in terms of the degree to which he reacts, but we can always see the catalyst from his perspective and understand what sets him off. In fact, with all the stunts he pulls and the pranks he plays, there's only one person that he seems to target really out of nowhere and that's public speaker Jim Cunningham. A lot of this gets written off. The story takes place over the month of October in the late 1980s, and one of the first things in the film is that while he's out in the middle of the night sneaking around, a jet engine falls out of the sky and hits their house, destroys the bedroom, so the family manages to get the repairs paid for by the airline company because it is their fault, even though they can't clearly determine which plane it fell off of and the fact that Donnie was out at night is really the only thing that saves his life. Things do start looking up for him when he meets a girl and falls in love. That girl is Gretchen Ross, played by Jenna Malone, and there are a number of other people in this film who you would very likely recognize. This was a relatively small film. In fact, Richard Kelly and Drew Barrymore met on the set of Charlie's Angels, and that's when Drew Barrymore promised that her production company Would help this movie get made. So she put up a lot of the funds of this $6 million budget. And one of the trade offs was that she had to play one of his teachers at school, which Kelly was very much okay with. So Donnie himself is played by Jake Gyllenhaal. He is known for this Nightcrawler, Zodiac, Source Code. He's got 43 acting credits behind his name, a lot of which are fairly recognizable. Some, such as Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, people would likely prefer you'd forget. But he did this after playing in October Sky. He was a child in City Slickers. And up to this point, that is the only film that I had seen him in. I bought this film based on its reputation, but I never really got around to watching it. And part of it is that the Jake Gyllenhaal movies I've seen thus far, actually looking at his credits, City Slickers was the only one that I had seen prior to Donnie Darko. And he does do a good job, including, for example, making Donnie creepy by consciously choosing not to blink while they were filming. So Donnie doesn't blink on camera. Now, they needed someone to play a sister, and they ended up casting Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jake's real-life sister, as Elizabeth Darko. It was actually her role in Cecil B. Demented that helped her get this part. That's part of what convinced Richard Kelly that she could do it. She's also been in Secretary, 40 Days, 40 Nights, Happy Endings, a number of projects, she's probably best known for playing Rachel in The Dark Knight. So the Batman Begins sequel, she took over the role of Rachel from Katie Holmes. Also in Donnie's family, his younger sister Samantha Darko is played by Dave Chase, who's probably best known to people now as the voice of Lilo from Lilo and Stitch, although she's done a number of other voice acting projects. His mother Rose Darko is played by Mary McDonnell. She is probably best known as the education minister-turned-president from the rebooted Battlestar Galactica. Jim Cunningham, the motivational speaker that we mentioned, was played by Patrick Swayze, and I assume I don't need to go through his list of credits. This was also the feature film debut of Seth Rogen, who's gone on to be in a lot of other films. As I said, Drew Barrymore played one of his teachers. That teacher was involved with another teacher romantically, so the two characters were an item. So. Karen Pomeroy's boyfriend, Professor Kenneth Monatoff, was played by Noah Wiley, who's probably best known for ER. And those, I'd say, are the sort of standouts for the cast. The production is well done, although none of the other production designers, the cinematographers, a lot of those don't really stand out, although a big chunk of that could be as a result of the budget, because it is fairly low budget. So, you know, it's hard to get some terribly elaborate shots or really go out of your way, considering some of the CGI that was involved, to represent the somewhat surreal nature of some of Donnie's visions. Six million dollars would only go so far, to the point that they were even having a tough time securing the rights to a particular movie. They wanted to use Chud, or C-H-U-D, as the film that Donnie and Gretchen see, but they had a hard time trying to determine who had the rights to it. Thankfully, Sam Raimi was a friend of one of the people in the production, and he offered them the use of The Evil Dead for free. So they were able to get the film made with that substitution. They had to substitute a number of songs because they couldn't afford the originals. For example, they wanted U2's MLK to play over the closing credits. Instead, they had to use the Gary Jules cover of the Tears for Fears hit Mad World to fill in the blanks because that's what they had the budget for. So it is a pretty interesting movie. It is very dark and very twisted. It actually kind of shifts my perspective because I was actually looking at the butterfly effect and the thing that I felt worked best for me was a particular story choice they made near the end, which is not something that I'd seen a lot of before and I had a lot of respect for them for that. Although now that I see Donnie Darko, which came out a year or two earlier, it's a pretty similar ending there. So I should have been giving that credit to Donnie Darko So this not only elevates Donnie Darko in my view, but it actually detracts a little from the butterfly effect. Now, as far as awards and nominations go, it didn't get nominated for any of the Oscars, but it did get a lot of nominations in other fields. It got a Sabin Award nomination for the Best DVD Special Edition release. It also won a special award from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films and the Young Filmmaker Showcase for Richard Kelly, who was 26 when he made this. It won the Silver Screen Award at the Amsterdam Fantastic Film Festival. It was nominated for the Awards Circuit Community Awards. The Clotrudis Awards gave it Best Actor for Jake Gyllenhaal and Best Original Screenplay for Richard Kelly, who was nominated for Best Movie and Best Director. The Luxembourg Film Festival gave it the Audience Award. The Film Critics Circle of Australia gave it the Best Foreign Film in the English Language, FCCA Award. The Independent Film Spirit Awards nominated it for Best First Feature, Best First Screenplay, and Best Male Lead. It won the Premier Award at the Gerard Mare Film Festival. It was nominated for Screenplay and Editing at the Italian Online Movie Awards. And I'm about halfway through the list here, including some nominations at Sundance and wins at the Toronto Film Critics Association Award. So it didn't get a lot of Oscar attention, but it did do very well on the film festival circuit. Sadly, it did not do so well in the original box office. The total worldwide gross at the end of its theatrical run was $1,370,152, and as I said, that's worldwide. Domestic, we're looking at more like half a million. So the fact that it did spawn a sequel says it probably did make money, although that would have followed on the home video release rather than the theatrical release, although it doesn't sound like the sequel made money or got anywhere near the critical accolades. So it is an entertaining film. I've left out some details because there were things that I didn't expect to happen that came into play here, so I'm trying to leave those out deliberately. As I said, I do enjoy something of the twist ending with a little bit of a, a noble sacrifice element to it, although the way it plays out here, that means that some of the good Donnie did with his actions was undone. So it comes across as a little more selfish here than it did In the butterfly effect. In that one, there's a bit of a twist ending where Ashton Kutcher's character makes some personal sacrifices to help others, whereas what Donnie does certainly does help one person in particular, but it actually does a fair amount of harm to some others because certain things that were revealed when he set a fire wouldn't have been revealed. So, end of the day, I would recommend seeing it. Right now, it's number 226 on the Internet Movie Database top 250 films of all time. I don't know that I would put it that high. It's an 8.1 out of 10 there, a 3.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Letterboxd puts it quite a bit lower in terms of their all-time list. But I'm finding that Letterboxd at least is a better fit for my tastes. It seems to skew more towards the, the film critic opinions rather than the mass audience opinions. So we will probably be hearing more about how things shake up and play out on Letterboxd in the coming weeks. But in any event, that's what we have to say about Donnie Darko. Join us again next month as we view the next movie. There's a few contenders that are currently tied for the number one spot in the voting right now. We have also opened voting on Addendum 2. So if you go to Bureau42.com, scroll down and look on the sidebar for the Make Me Watch It voting list, you can get to Addendum 2. So if you haven't already voted on that one that has been released since last month's podcast, please go check it out now to help determine which movie I talk about in May. Please feel free to rate this and any of the shows you listen to on iTunes and on Stitcher. It really does help the shows get noticed. And finally, thank you for listening.